We have now released issue three of the New Thinking Aloud magazine. Download it for free at newthinkingaloud.org. New Thinking Aloud is a non-profit endeavor. Your contributions to the New Thinking Aloud Foundation make a meaningful difference in our ability to produce new videos. Thinking Aloud Conversations on the leading edge of knowledge and discovery with psychologist Jeffrey Mishlove. Hello and welcome. I'm Jeffrey Mishlove. Today we're going to explore the life and work of Friedrich Jurgensen, one of the pioneers in the field of electronic voice phenomena, also known as instrumental transcommunication or ITC. My guest is Annabella Cardoso, a former Portuguese diplomat having served as Consul General in Spain, France, and the United States, as well as Charge de Affairs in Japan and India. She is author of Electronic Voices, Contact with Another Dimension. Electronic Contact with the Dead, What the Voices Tell Us, and glimpses of another world, impressions and reflections of an EVP operator. Her newest book, which we'll be focusing on today, is the English translation of the Swedish book by Anders Leopold called Friedel's Conversations with the Dead, the fascinating story of Friedrich Jürgensen, pioneer of EVP. Annabella lives in Spain, and now I'll switch over to the internet video. Welcome, Annabella. It's a real pleasure to be with you. It's been two years since our last interviews. Thank you, Jeff. Of course, it's a pleasure. It's always a pleasure to be with you. You are such a cheerful person. It's enjoyable to be with you, always. Thank you. I know your lifelong passion or your professional passion since you left the diplomatic service has been EVP. You're not just a scholar of the field, which you are. You are an experiencer. And Friedrich Jurgensen, who we'll be talking about today, is probably not as well known today as you are in the field, but he's one of the pioneers and a big inspiration to you. Indeed, that is absolutely, absolutely true. And that is perhaps the main reason why, as well as uh, Anders Leopold, wanted this book in English so that he would be and, and, and take the, how do I say, it, the glory, let's put it between inverted commas, but the, the merit that he certainly deserves, not only because of his work with the voices, but because of his life, but because of everything he, he, he forgot about to devote himself to these, to these extraordinary voices that spoke with him through the radio and the tapes. So it's necessary to be very brave to do this, because his career as an artist was um, 
a wonderful career. I mean, he was a very well-known painter. That's the reason why the Vatican recruited him to paint um, in, in, in the place that was supposed to be Peter's tomb and the Pope at the time, Pius XII, because of his merits as a painter. Then he had sang at the Scala de, de, de Milano and, and all, all these things. He was, he had made movies. He made several at the end of his life, maybe six or seven. Some of them acclaimed movies. I couldn't recall all, all the titles, but it was a number of them. And he, he put all, all that aside to devote his life to the voices which then, as today, were not understood properly and properly accepted, let's put it this way. In terms of acceptance, I think one of the most important facts is that the Pope himself acknowledged that these voices are probably evidence of uh, survival after death, something which, to my understanding, the Catholic Church is normally very reluctant to talk about. These days, I do not know what the position of the Church is, but at the time of Jurgensen, there were two Popes. Let's start by here. Pope Pius XII, yes, of whom he also painted several portraits, and the Pope that followed, Paul VI. Even I saw this, this Pope in, in Italy, in Castel Gandolf, when I was a young girl of 19, and I was a tourist guide, and took there some American people who were my clients. I worked with American Express and I was a student at the University in Lisbon. Anyway, I saw this Pope, which is the Pope that became Jurgensen's friend. And yes, as you said, they both acknowledged the voices directly. I mean, the Popes themselves. The first Pope, Pius the Twelfth which is the Pope of the Second World War, yeah, who have not very good reputation, but how, how correct this interpretation is or not, I don't know. I'm not an expert in the Catholic uh, Church or any other church. But um, Pius XII told two scientists, one of the very good scientists in Italy, one of them, Father Agostino Cemelli, of whom now the most important uh, hospital in Italy, um, he, he founded it, as he founded the Catholic University of Milano. Agostino Cemelli, if you remember, when the popes get ill, they are taken to this hospital. It's called Polyclinic Gemelli or something like this. This comes from this, from this priest who was uh, um, just cleaning um, Gregorian chants with a colleague, Father Ernetti, who was an expert in, in music, and suddenly a voice appeared, recorded, 
on, on their tapes. They were, they were cleaning the tapes or the harmonics or something of this kind. And Gemelli, this who is one of the great scientists of his time in Italy, Father Agostino Gemelli, recognized immediately his father's voice, calling him by his pet name, which was Zucchini. Zucchini means zucchini. It's the same in English. I've, if I'm not mistaken, courgette, zucchini. One says in in English, isn't it? This the pumpkin, the, the 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 green pumpkin, longish one. Yes, a vegetable, a squash. Squash, the the green one. Uh, and this voice said, he, he had said, "Papa, help me." Because they were, the, the tape was, was breaking all the time. Because it's the real to real, real to real tapes. And Gemelli, this, um, very important scientist, I stress this because this is important to say how important he was, said, well, this is my father's voice here in the middle of the, the Gregorian chants. And they listened and re-listened. And there it was, and there it was. And they insisted, and then they started speaking into the air. And the voice replied, of course it's me. Don't, don't, don't you recognize me any longer or, or something like this? And they were very scared because at the time, this was September 1952. That was the time when spiritism as it was called in Europe, not spiritualism. As you know, spiritualism is of the Anglo, Anglo-Saxon ca- uh, countries, the United States, Great Britain, and so on. In the rest of Europe, from Allan Kardec, it was spiritism. So they were afraid because the church had, had a very um, strict position about spiritism and they were scared with this voice so they decided to take it and tell the Pope what had happened and this was Paul not Paul, sorry, Pius Twelfth. and they said well this happened and we want to let you know Father and the Pope said well don't be afraid this has nothing to do with spiritism this might even become the scientific proof of an afterlife. And from there, a new science can, can be erected or can, can start. Okay. So this was 1952. When Jurgensen was invited by a cardinal, who was the represent, representative of the Pope in Sweden, who was of his second wife's family, Nora. He took, because of the excellence of his paintings, he took him to the Vatican to do, to, to reconstruct the paintings of the underground of this huge altar that everybody knows about in, in the church in St. Peter's. And this was, he had not yet started receiving the voices. His first voice was the 12th of June, 1959. 1959. And when this voice happened, he was already very familiar with the Vatican. He had become become a personal friend 
of the new pope, Pope Paul VI. And of course, they, in kind of tete-a-tete conversations, the pope told him, he didn't know, about what ha had happened to these two Catholic priests and scientists in the first recording of 1952. And that's when Jurgensen uh, knew about this, because he never knew that there were other voices before the ones he was receiving. He didn't know. And then from, from then on, of course, the things well developed and the Pope always supported him and, and, um, and was very interested in the, in his research. I mean, Friedrich Jurgensen's research. And that's when the Pope, Paul VI, told him that the Catholic Church, true, maybe, I don't say the correct name, it's the, parapsychological commission, whatever of this kind, were also investiga investigating so-called paranormal phenomena. And I suppose also the voices. The Pope told him. And they used to discuss about this because Jorgensen, as you know, Jeff, because you read the book, was a confessed atheist. He was an atheist. He, he, he was never a, a Catholic or, or even a Christian, and he says so in his books. And still, and still, he had this, this excellent relationship with the Pope, with the two Popes. Then he also painted portraits of Paul VI, and, and so on, so who trusted him totally. It's a, a very interesting, very moving relationship between this atheist, highly intelligent, highly creative, that, that, that Jurgensen is, and, and the Pope, the chief of the Catholic Church. Well, the thing that I found most fascinating about the book is that he went through a very strange period in his life where he wondered if he might be uh, becoming schizophrenic because he was hearing voices that seemed to be of a telepathic nature. It's as if the uh, voices from the other side were reaching out to him in multiple ways. Exactly. He went through that phase of doubt, of saying, am I becoming crazy? What is this? He was, he was listening telepathically, perceiving. I do not know about listening. It's not explicit there if it was listening. Listening was when he listened to the wind, to water in a cascade and so on, and he would understand words. Yes, which were very possibly already communications, but this for him, all this was very, very odd, very strange. And as you said, he doubted that he was sane, mentally sane. Of course, that the skeptics have said many times that Jurgensen was crazy because he would listen to voices in the noises, in the environmental noises, and, and so on. He was not crazy at all. A man like that was not crazy. 
he went through a period of doubt and his communicators tried to how how would I say this to penetrate into his being or into his mind let's put it this way through these telepathic messages he received um, several it, it, it's not unusual for a, a trans communicator to a good one a serious one to receive telepathic messages it's kind of usual and uh, and then and then through the radio one day the the feminine voice who became his his guide kind of his guide called lena said turn the radio on something like this and then the voices started coming however as i said the first one was in Nisund, his country house, a beautiful place where, where I have been, kind of 70 kilometers south of Stockholm. And he was going for one of his movies to record, this is a very well-known story, the chirping of the, the bird songs, night bird songs. And that's when he heard this trumpet and a voice that was like his mother's voice. And uh, that he, he he recognized as his mother's voice, calling him by his free, by his uh, pet name Friedel. And uh, this 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 um, period of mental doubt was after this, because there was a pause. Then he start he stopped everything, and then the telepathic messages would come and say, "Don't don't." Don't drop us, don't let us down, work, etc., etc., etc. So there, of course, he went through because he didn't know that this was a possibility. Today is a completely different thing. Everybody knows, or almost everybody, and still not everybody knows about this possibility. As you know, I do, of course, because I have recorded thousands of voices, and uh, but at his time he, he had no idea, not even of the Catholic priests, scientists, not even of Attila Fonsley and Raymond Bayless in California. He didn't know that it existed. So of course he would be doubtful and, and scared to a certain to a certain point. Yeah. So the voice of his mother first came to him in 1959 while he was trying to record bird songs, I guess uh, because he had an electric plug-in tape recorder. Uh, it was at his home and, and he put the microphone out the window to hear the birds uh, when his mother's voice appeared. And then by 1963, as I recall, he had written his own book and given a public press conference, and quite rapidly he became famous all over Europe, particularly in Sweden, uh, as an advocate for electronic voices from the dead. The, pr the first press conference, yes, which was, if I'm not mistaken, 1962. But he called the press from all over the world. There were even from the United States. There, there was a representative from Life magazine. You remember Life magazine, Jeff? Do you? Oh, yes. 
So Life magazine was also there from, from all over Europe, from all over Europe. The Swedish <laughs> were the most sceptical, <laughs> so, so Anders Leopold says. And that's when Anders Leopold, this uh, Swedish journalist who then became his very close, intimate friend, met him, was during this first press conference, which was attended by journalists from, from all over the world, really. Because nobody knew, nobody knew that the voice of the father of one of them, nobody knew about Attila Fonsley in his medium, uh, mediumship uh, cabinet, that he had recorded these bits of, of voices and the whistling and so on, nobody knew about this. So for all of these people, the journalists of, from all over the world, it was an impossible thing because they had no idea, as it was for Jurgensen, neither of them knew about that this phenomenon had already hinted, let's, I don't know which, which word to use, had already been left some traces in the planet, but it had. But Jurgensen, when he achieved worldwide fame after that press conference, became Probably at, at that time, 1962-1963, the foremost proponent in the world for these electronic voices. Because, yes, of course he was, and then he had followers. Many followers. The, the most prominent was Konstantin Draudiv, who was Draudiv, who was a um, philosopher with published work, he was a psychologist, he had, he was a student of Carl Gustav Jung, Jürgen, I, I mean, Raudive. And, and then, and then around Raudive, a, a whole circle of scientists, European, Austrian, Swiss, etc., assembled. And it was Jurgensen, yes, of course it was Jurgensen, because then he did a second press conference, where, during which, I think it was 64, the second one, I think it was. A anyway, well, this is so many dates, but any anyway, there were, there was also, um, a period, a period during the press conference that they made recordings. And the journalists were also allowed to record. And they had results, noisy of course, although they were in silence, but with voices. That's, that's what I mean. So, and with all these, and the support of the Vatican, and etc., and these constant trips to, to Italy, and the Italian television, and, and all this, of course he became famous, and Raudiva, who followed him closely, who, who learned, who Raudiva learned from Jurgensen. He, he was, he was only a pioneer in the sense that he spread the word, Konstantin Raudiva, when his book was translated into English. Breakthrough, isn't it? Yes. But at the time of Jurgensen, of course, he went there to visit Jurgensen, learn from him, and then he started having results like so many others.
Now, I gather from the book that Jurgensen collected many, many audio tapes, I think maybe as many as a thousand, just as you have, and and that there was, uh, in effect, a, a museum collection of all of his tapes that still exists. It does. I think it is in Germany. In Germany. Um, and the, the, the person who rescued let's put it this way, uh, rescued uh, Jorgensen's recordings, tapes, was Karl Michael von Hauswolf, who is a famous modern musician, kind of um, noble in, in, uh, in, in Sweden, and his father-in-law had been a friend and admirer of, of Jurgensen, because Karl Michael von, von Haushof is much younger. He is now a 60-year-old man. But he was the person who went to the place where he died, because by the time he had divorced his, his third wife, Monica, and lived with an old friend, a lady friend, uh, who had been their friend, of this couple, the Jurgensen couple's friend, Marta, in the south of Sweden, and he died there during his sleep. And Karl Michael von Haushof, Wolf, Haushof, knew of this man through his father-in-law, who is a, who was a very famous artist in Sweden. And he said, well, the, his recordings must be there. And he went there with a friend when he died, well, when he died, weeks or so after he died, of course, and, and brought everything with him. All the tapes, thousands as you said. And then he, he started the Jurgensen Foundation, who ordered the translation of one, one of his books, uh, voices from the, voices from space in, into, into English, but the title, the title in English is vo uh, Radio Transmissions with the Dead or something like that. They offered me this book, the only one translated into English so far. And the Jurgensen Foundation offered me this, this book, which I very much like and value. And this was the Jurgen, that's how the Jurgensen Foundation started. And then they had, they had exhibitions and they took the tapes to this, to this, um, museum in Germany. Because these countries are all near, isn't it? There. Sweden, Germany, Austria, Denmark, and so on. They are all very near. And they intermingle a lot. So anyway, all the photographs that are in this book were uh, from Karl Michael von Haushof, who sent them to me to use to use in the book. They are property of the Jurgensen Foundation, and that's how the the tapes were recovered how they were saved from annihilation as the president of the Jurgensen Foundation, who is a wonderful person, uh, says. He, he saved, he recovered all the materials, all Jurgensen's materials. Yes, they would be lost without him. 
Another fascinating aspect is uh, the communications apparently coming from Jurgensen since his death. I believe he died in 1987, and if I recall correctly, right about the very time of his funeral, an, an image of him appeared on a television screen. Exactly. Uh, on the television screen of Claude Thorlin, who was a very well-known photographer in Sweden. Sweden, of course, has always been a little bit of, maybe the Swedish don't like me to, to say this, but a little bit of a, a, a remote country in the way that it's in the fringe of Europe, isn't it? As, as Portugal is, or, or Spain even, or Greece. We are, we are around the core, the heart of Europe, isn't it? Um, so this Claude Thorlin was a very famous, famous photographer in Sweden and a very close friend also of Jorgensen. They had recordings together in one of those experiences and reunions that uh, uh, Friedel, Friedrich Jorgensen used to, to have in his house in Stockholm. And they, the results are here in the book. And when his funeral was taking place at, in the south of Sweden, his wife, Claude Thorlin's wife, had a they couldn't go because it was very far or whatever. They couldn't go to the south of Sweden for the funeral. But she had an impression, this lady, who had a, a history of almost mediumistic, not professional, of course, but presentiments, messages, and so on. And she said, Turn on the television, turn on the television, because the day before she had listened in her mind, not from the air, to this Channel 4, Channel 4 television. And Claude Torlin, who was not medium, he was a photographer, and said, so he turned on the, t the television because his wife had told him, turn on Channel 4, I got this impression. Turn on the television, but the, the Channel 4 was blank. There was nothing. And they waited and said, well, what is this for? He asked there. Ellen, I think her name was, I can't remember. A anyway, then suddenly, which later they found out corresponded to uh, the, the time of Jorgensen's funeral in the south of Sweden, this, this picture... This, in a flash of light, appeared on the TV screen of the Thorlins. And then they said, but this, this, this is Friedel, this is Friedel's um, portrait, and, and so on. And then they, well, they were close friends, as I said. They had even recorded together, although Claude Thorlin had started by being a very skeptical person, as everybody. And, uh, and it was verified that it was the same hour, exactly, exactly the hour of Jorgensen's funeral in the south of Sweden. This photograph, before I forgot, I forget to tell you, uh, 
It's also in the book. There was, you will know, because that's one of the few who is well known uh, outside of Sweden. You remember this photographer, Nielsen, Swedish photographer, Nielsen, correct? The first who photographed a fetus, a human fetus in the womb. I can't remember his first name, but, but he is well known, Nielsen. Okay, you know also, even I knew also. So, one of, because Claude Thorlin was skeptical and how come this, and then people started, as usual, saying, no, 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 there is some, there is some trick there, how can this be, and so on. And this great photographer, Nielsen, the Swedish one, was one of those who analyzed this photograph, well, it, he had taken one of these, what's the name of those cameras that you no longer see them? Polaroid. A Polaroid photograph of the screen. Of the screen. This was on a TV screen. And Nielsen, the famous Swedish um, photographer, was one of those, besides the technicians of the Swedish Broadcasting Corporation and so on, who analyzed this photograph and said, no, there is no trick here whatsoever. This, this is true. This is correct. This is, um, this is true. So, well, this, I know that this image has been, people who do not know, they, they like to say things without knowing what is going on. Ah, this is, um, this is a, say, this is a, a false image and so on. Ah, one of the things that they did was to check uh, all the television programs in Sweden and Norway. Of the time when they recorded, the, when they photographed this image, and in none of them appeared uh, Jorgensen's image. So it was not from a, a stray television emission. That, that was also one of the proofs that were done to this photograph, famous photograph by now. Uh, have there been... Other communications from Jorgensen in addition to this? I, as I recall, you mentioned you heard the name Friedrich Jorgensen on one of your tapes. Exactly, I did. But there were many um, communications, messages of great caliber from him in the, at the end of the 1980s in Luxembourg with this by now famous couple, Maggie and Jules Harschfischbach, and the also famous computer texts in Germany that were followed by Professor Ernst Senkowski of messages that were authored by Jorgensen. Yes, several, several. Apart from that, nothing. If I remember, the text showed up on a computer screen. Exactly, Adolf Homer's computer screen in Rivenish, Germany. He received more than 200 computer texts. Some of those computer texts, uh, he was not even at home. The computer would 
start by itself, as mine does sometimes, <laughs> but I get no messages. <laughs> but he, he had messages. He was even in hospital. Professor Senkovsky told me, and still his computer would start itself on, and a very complex text would appear, which was most of the times uh, addressed to Professor Ernst Senkovsky because Adolf Holmes was a modest carpenter who didn't even correctly understand what the messages said because his um, instruction, he was a Senkovsky, but of um, rather rudimentary education. So he, he wouldn't understand the content. He would tell uh, Professor, Professor Senkovsky who, who lived within reach, within reach of Rivenish. What is all this nonsense about? I don't understand nothing of the, I understand nothing of this, of what it says. But Senkovsky, of course, understood. And he, he preserved these texts and he transcribed them and then he published a special publication of Adolf Holmes computer texts, more than 200, that most of the times appeared spontaneously on Adolf Holmes computer, other times they appeared in reply to a question that Ernst Senkovsky had written on a piece of paper in Mainz, Mainz, Germany, and had not communicated to Adolf Holmes, but the reply appeared on his computer screen. This was an extraordinary period of ITC, the Harsch Fischbach and Adolf Holmes with his computer texts. So it seems there was this enormous flourishing of interest in ITC. You had the enormous communications associated with Konstantin Raudova. You had uh, Senkowski getting involved. You had the Harsh Fischbach team and Adolf Holmes. Yeah. And all of that that would have been in the 1980s, maybe into the 1990s. Where do things stand today? Until the 2000, the year 2000, I have there a message that Senkovsky to to brought me, which is one of the last ones of the Harsh Fischbach. Where are things now? Mm, well, things now, there is not a big transcommunicator that you can name. Um, but what happens now is that so many people receive messages on their mobile phones, for instance, you know. So this is kind of a common occurrence now. This thing, there is a French um, man that I, well, I know from the internet, Pat Patrick Flama, and he records and he he speaks to the dead and he has a, a woman or a man friend on the other side of the line through mobile phones and the voice intrudes there as I, as I have had also, uh, this several times. And that's where we are. There is not 
one a great transcommunicator. This happened from the 1905 or 19, 1986 or so until the year 2000. And because Adolfo Holmes died in, um, 95, uh, 95, 90, uh, yes, 95, 97, I think. That's when he died of cancer. That's while he was in hospital, the computer would start by itself and the texts would appear there also, as I said. Then he, he died shortly afterwards. I think it's 1995, I think. And since the year 2000, that was the last one that Senkovsky brought me, no, there, there, there are no rumors of anything very big of this kind, of course, which was exceptional, of course. Now it seems to be disseminated everywhere. And that's one of the things that my own communicators told me. I have repeated this many times. When they used to ask me to leave the radios on day and night, day and night it was for many days, one week, ten days, and and they wouldn't speak many of these times that the radios were on. I said, why do you want this, this radios on? Because I have a soundproof little room and all that, otherwise we could not be in this house. Anyway, they... They always told me, and besides this is recorded, we are work, working to be able to speak to everyone in your world interested in our world. Well, one thing I do know is that there's a, a whole new movement uh, since about 2000 that has emerged, certainly in the United States. They're called ghost hunters, and they are many, many radio and TV and internet programs with these groups of ghost hunters, and they use ITC, and uh, they report yeah. their findings in popular media all over the place. Some are true. Some are fake of these recordings because the same thing happens here also. This is everywhere. I dislike it very much because you, and I know by my own experience, you never know when the voices are going to come. How, how is it that you go into a hunted place, as they say, and then you get voices that do that. As I say, some are true, maybe some are true. I don't say they aren't. But but some are, no, are not true. This has to be verified. It has to be well analyzed and so on. But there is, there is of course, this trend, which, which I don't approve of, because there, there are no controls. This is a serious thing, as Jurgensen used to say, very serious. As Hans Bender said, very serious, very important. And uh, they have um, degraded it, not all, but many. Well, that's another episode in Jurgensen's work, his connection with Hans Bender, who founded the... Uh, 
institute in Freiburg. Of, in English, we call it borderland psychology, but it was uh, parapsychology, a very important researcher who uh, looked very extensively uh, into Jurgensen's work and also had colleagues at the Max Planck Institute working with him. Exactly. exactly. Very true. And uh, his audios were uh, analyzed. They made um, speech spectrograms of them. They decided that what was there was what Jurgensen said that was there. They also listened to it. Hans Bender was there present during, he, he paid many visits to Jurgensen in two different times, 1964 and 1970, and then had them at all these audios. Some of them he was there. Most of the times he was there, Hans Bender, with all kinds of controls, because he was one of the top parapsychologists in the world, as, as you, of course, know. And, um, and yes, they, went, uh, they sent them to the Max Planck Institute, who certified the authenticity of these voices, the content, and so on. Yes, this, uh, and it was Hans Bender who said in an interview with Anders Leopold, the Swedish journalist, it's here in the book, this is the most important um, event or happening, whatever he called it, in the history of parapsychology at that time was. But um, yes, yes, of course, indeed. Indeed, yes. Now, another question that I have, I'm going to deviate a little bit from our discussion of Jurgensen, but for many years, you edited and published the ITC Journal, which was the major worldwide journal of people doing serious investigations. And I'm under the impression that uh, there hasn't been any issues published for quite a while now. So I suppose that must be symptomatic of a, a decline in professional interest or professional data in the field. And as you, you say, at a certain point, there were no materials to publish, you know, because I always filtered, I always filtered the materials very well. I mean, it would be I writing or Edgar Mueller, or then I would have to, to translate. I had nobody to translate. I had to translate myself, you know. And it was a lot of work. And there was nobody to make this journal. And no materials. Not, not materials, of course, that, that there would be. If I wanted to publish all these ghost hunting stories, there would be plenty of materials. But I never wanted to publish this stuff. And I always told everybody, and they agreed, because Edgar Mueller, an engineer of of these reputable corporations, and Uwe Hartmann, professor of um, in computer science in a university in Germany. Carlos, who is a technician, but he's a, a serious person. Otherwise, he, I could not work with him. And, uh, and I said, no, no, I, I don't want this stuff, this nonsense. What is all this nonsense? No, we will not publish 
this and serious materials we did not have. We did not have Jeff. So it was everything together. Tremendous amount of work, no materials of, of sufficient high caliber and nobody to help, to help me also. Uh, that journal, at the beginning, I started it with Carlos only, in English, in Spanish, and in Portuguese. Three languages. Three languages, which I, I had to... Carlos would revise the Spanish one, but I would do the Portuguese and the English. And this was a tremendous amount of work, as you can imagine, every three months. And then I changed it into English also because, and this is a position I still maintain today, interested in serious ITC, there are not many in the world. They, they want a spectacle. They want a spectacle on television, this ghost hunting recordings and these programs, and I don't agree with that. Anyway, anyway. I think that uh, if you look at the history of parapsychology and psychical research, there seem to be waves and cycles of interest. Mediumship is on the rise, for example, and for a long time, I think there was very little interest in mediumship. So, uh, I, I suppose it has something to do with historical cycles. There must be some cycles of some kind. Which ones? I don't know. Some kind of cycles. Also, it, it, perhaps it's, it is also to do with geomagnetic conditions of the Earth and so many other things. We, we don't know, isn't it? Did you say right now that uh, it's on the rise again, mediumship, is it? And serious research on, on mediumship, yes, has, has been going on for the last 10 or maybe even 20 years and uh, seems to be on, on the rise, in, in my opinion. But the important thing, I think, is even though the interest seems to be declining in ITC and EVP, the serious interest, uh, you have done uh, a lot in the, those intervening years in terms of keeping the historical memories alive and, and writing your own uh, experiences and publishing uh, books about your own work. Exactly, that's the reason why, because the work was so much, as I said, and Carlos knows it very well, and I couldn't do it all alone, and there was nobody to help me. And I thought it was more um, interesting to, to do my own research. I did that two-year research of the voices in the acoustics laboratory of the of the University of the Faculty of Engineering here in the University, Technical University of Vigo. And then, uh, well, that took two years and uh, many thousands of recordings in many different apparatuses. And that was tremendous amount of work also. And then to write my own, about my own experiences. This is what I'm doing. And then this is, to, 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 to tell the world who was Friedrich Jorgensen. Because even the ITC 
so-called operators don't know enough about him, you know. And he was a fantastic figure, personality. And, and I thought, besides, Anders Leopold, just before dying, he asked me to help him with this work, which I did with great pain. <laughs> a great pain. Like I can imagine Swedish pieces of texts, etc. And also there were many, many situations, strange situations that happened here in my in my house, which I don't like to talk about because I don't like to be associated with that type of things. But there were there were things here. That happened in my house, but since I've gone, I don't get scared easily because I've seen so much and I've heard so much. But big screams and things in the middle of the, the night and so on. And there was nobody else here, and so on. While I was doing the book, and I almost died because it was so stressful to do all this. At a certain point. I told Carlos, I, I don't know if I can finish this because I don't know if I have the energy, sufficient energy, because everything was happening, everything negative. I dislike using these words because I'm not, um, how do you call these people who are, uh, the ones who are always with the negative, positive influences and so on. I dislike it because this is not my formation, but... Still, today, I do recognize they exist. These influences exist. And I remember many years ago when I had fluid conversations with my main communicator, Carlos de Almeida, and I once asked him, I have their voices of him, wonderful voices, loud and humorous and cheerful and so on, which I will publish, and then I will send it to you when it's finished. A lot of work, too. Anyway, he replied to me, negative influences are everywhere, he said, because I didn't be believe in this stuff of negative and positive and the good energy and the bad energy. So I asked him, and the reply was, uh, there are negative influences everywhere. And that, that was loud also, not uh, telepathic, loud and recorded. So, yes, perhaps there are. Certainly when I was doing this book, there were. And miraculously, I finished it. I'm very thrilled to have had this opportunity to be with you again, Annabella. You're still out there. You're very courageous. You're true to the cause, and uh, it is a joy for me to be with you and to share your work and your story with the New Thinking Aloud audience. So thank you very much for being with me today. It's I who thank you, thank you because, because you have done a wonderful work. Look, look at that Bigelow competition and so on. Beautiful. Your presentation was outstanding, I have, I have to say. You you went to all the features of the field and you presented the best examples of, of a vast area and there 
resides the the key to the success of your presentation. I'm sure it was this. And nobody had this, this vision of doing it that way. So, congratulations. congratulations. Thank, you Thank you very, very much, much for having me. me. I'm very happy because, because you, you are a very, how do I say, perceptive person. You are in many different ways, very perceptive, very, very alive, very lively, lively, is that what I mean? And perceptive too, and intuitive, and um, sensitive, in a way like, like Jorgensen, but different, in a way, but you, you catch everything, I think. You will know better, but I think, don't you, Jeff? Thank you, Annabella. It's <laughs> wonderful that uh, you feel that way. And it, for me, it's a blessing and, and an honor to be able to share the work of people such as yourself with the New Thinking Aloud audience. And fortunately, even though interest in ITC may be a bit diminished, interest in other areas of parapsychology is growing. So there's always new books and new subjects. And my hope is that the New Thinking Aloud series will continue long after I'm gone. Exactly. And that's the, what, what you did. It's what you do. You go to the spectrum. This is full spectrum. And there resides the key. To this area. It certainly does, Annabella. Well, thank you once again for being with me. And for those of you watching or listening, thank you for being with us. You are the reason that we are here. I imagine that by now, many of you already realize that, in conjunction with White Crow Books, we've just launched the new Thinking Aloud Dialogues book imprint, and our first title is, Is There Life After Death? New Thinking Aloud is a non-profit endeavor. Your contributions to the New Thinking Aloud Foundation make a meaningful difference in our ability to produce new videos.